Uh, Before we open in scripture, let's come to our Lord in prayer. We thank you, gracious Father, for this day and for this place and for the opportunity, Lord, to worship you in freedom. Lord, we now go to your word. We pray that you will free us from distraction. Open our ears, Lord, so we can hear. Open our hearts, Lord, so that we can be your living word in, in our community and in our world. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the third chapter of Ruth, and if you want to read along, it's found on page 414 in your pew Bibles. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not rung up. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing... As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. You ever have one of those big Thanksgiving or Christmas meals that there is so much food on the table that you cannot fathom how you're going to eat it all? That's been my experience with the book of Ruth for the last few weeks. 
There is so much in here. It's way more than what we can engage in a worship service. And even over four worship services, as we walk through Ruth, there is still way more than what we can get into and cover in a, in a, a time that we have together. It is a rich, rich text and story with many different references, little references and phrases that spring to other parts of, of Scripture and, and give us more and more glimpses of who God is and, and what God's love for us is like. So we kind of have to pick and choose what we're going to eat. <laughs> so this morning we are going to, to do that, but I, I want to set the stage just a little bit because not all of us have been here all three weeks. So I, I want to briefly uh, bring us back to, to where this story began. It begins in, in a fullness for Naomi. She's, she's married, she has two young sons, and, and they're together as a family, and there's, there's all sorts of future and promise and hope for her. Things seem good and right. But the text tells us quickly that it's the time of the judges which means there, there is a time of, of the people of Israel, and the, the most common phrase out of the book of Judges is, the people did what they saw as right in their own eyes. This in contrast to doing the will of God. They did whatever they wanted, and you have in the book of Judges this up and down story where, where suddenly God will raise somebody up, and the people go, oh yeah, God, let's pay attention to God. And then it says, and they follow God in his ways until that leader died. And then the leader dies, and shortly thereafter, the people do what is right in their own eyes again. And in those spaces where they're doing right in their own eyes, they encounter famines, they encounter other enemies that come in and take over their land, all sorts of, of discipline from God, where he's trying to say to them, come back to me, pay attention to what you're doing Look at how far you're drifting away. And Naomi, in her fullness, with her family, is living in one of those times of famine during the time of judges when people do right in their own eyes. And her husband says, let's leave this land. And they go to the land of Moab. In Moab, Naomi's husband dies. And her two sons, after they get married, both of them die over the course of a 10-year period. She comes back to the land of Israel at the end of chapter 1 saying, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant one. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. And so we enter a story with her of having gone from fullness to emptiness of life, having gone from a future to seeing there is no future. And, and in her angst and frustration and bitterness, she cries out, the Lord's hand is against me. The Lord's hand against me. Chapter 2, which we talked about last week, picks up the story a little bit. They're in a new land, and, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who's come with her and pledged her love to walk with Naomi, begins to go out in the fields, and it just happens to be that she ends up in the, the field of a kinsman redeemer, a guy named Boaz who in the midst of this time of judges is actually following God's will and God's way. It's a harvest season, and, and he welcomes Ruth in, taking her in as a foreigner and saying, you are welcome to glean on this land, and, and he even adds blessings to her so that she goes back to Naomi, and you see a transition happening in Naomi. 
a place of bitterness is now suddenly being, being loosened up and, and she's starting to wonder if she can believe again and at the end of the chapter, she says, the Lord bless him, referring to Boaz. There's a sense of hope being restored in her that maybe God hasn't forgotten about her. Maybe God hasn't turned his hand against her. Maybe there's still life left for her and for Ruth. And that's where we enter this week. As we move from emptiness to fullness, we encounter, we encounter Naomi trying to figure out how to make a future secure. It's an interesting transition to go from the point where she's just thinking about daily survival. How do I get through today to a place where she can start to think about a future? How do we plan for what comes next? How do we make plans? How do we prepare? How do we make sure that we don't end up where we were before? How do we make sure when the next famine comes, we've got people around us who are going to take care of us? Planning for a future is not a bad thing. I don't want to get us off on that foot. It's good to plan for a future. You've got to plan for what comes next in school. You've got homework assignments to plan for. You've got to think those through ahead, right? Make sure you have enough time to get them done. You've got to plan for a future when you start thinking about retirement. Now, most of our congregation actually sits in a place where we don't think about retirement yet or we're already in retirement, Right? We, we've got the bulk of our congregation is 45 and under, and we're still thinking, how do we get things together? A lot of us are thinking about how do we get kids through uh, middle school and through high school. And, and even younger than that, some of us aren't even thinking about kids yet. <laughs> we're in this space where life seems to be before us and fullness and, and possibility. And we get a whole bunch of us in our church that are in this other space where, where we're retired conversations aren't so much about what lies ahead in the future as it's about remembering and rejoicing and giving thanks for what's already happened. Different postures. Naomi's in that middle space between those two storylines. She's in that space of saying, there's still life ahead for me and, and for my daughter-in-law. How do we provide for them? How do we make sure we have a retirement essentially what she's doing here that's secure and things are, are going to be okay for us and we're going to be taken care of. How do we do that type of planning? And it's good. It's good to do that planning but there's also something happening with Naomi here and she's operating in a place of fear. Naomi had a good future. She had a good plan. She had things together over here with her husband before that famine happened before they had to leave the land, before her husband died, before her, her two boys died. She had a future. It made sense to her. Things were planned out the right way and it was going to happen and, and she had everything to look forward to. Now more than 10 years later, she's not sure what to look forward to and, but she knows she doesn't want to go through the pain of that last 10 years again. The uncertainty and the, the emptiness. She wants to do everything she can to make sure that it all comes together. And so she does. She starts scheming. This plan, this chapter actually starts up with a scheme of hers. Notice what she says to Ruth. I want you to dress up your best clothes. Put a little makeup on. All right? 
do something. Make yourself pretty today. Put on a little extra perfume, and I want you to go down and, and offer yourself to Boaz. It's really what's happening here. She's saying to, to Ruth, who, who she's been fearful about in other circumstances, she's saying, here, I've got a plan, and my plan is for you to go and offer yourself sexually to Boaz, to find a way to, to manipulate things here so that, that he wants you and takes you in, and then we're both going to be okay because he'll take care of me too. She's trying to figure out how she can do things, how she can create a situation where she's going to be okay. It should prompt two questions for us as we start reading this story. One is, where do we find our security? The word actually in the beginning of find a home for you is, is to find a, a resting place. And the way that word was often used was to find a, a secure resting place, a secure place to rest. And it usually meant a, a place where you were going to be provided for that was free from attack, free from outside threat. Where are those places for us? It's not an unusual question for the Reformed community. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in the 1500s, starts out with, what's your only comfort? Naomi's asking the question we all ask. Where's my comfort? Where's my security? How am I going to be taken care of? And she's asking that question, and she's got a plan. But as we read that, we should be prompted to ask that question as well. But we need to ask the question that comes right after that. How far will we go to secure our own future? What are we willing to do? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to compromise on to make sure that we are physically provided for? That our material needs are met and secure and we've got everything in, in line? How far are we willing to go? I can't answer that for any of you. I have a hard enough time in those conversations with my wife asking, how do we provide for our, ourselves? How, what type of future do we envision? How do we make things secure and make sure we've, we've got our ducks in a row? These questions should be ones that come in front of us as we're engaging this chapter in this story. Where's our security coming from? And how far are we willing to go? How much compromise will we make in order to make sure we're secure? Those type of questions immediately bring us into this conversation. Vulnerability and trust. Who likes to be vulnerable? Got a couple people. Not sure if you're honest or not, but okay. <laughs> vulnerable, in our culture, we are taught to protect ourselves again and again and again. And this chapter throws us right into that place of vulnerability and looking at vulnerability, finding a place to rest, finding security means we actually have to own up to the fact that we feel insecure about something. Something feels out of place. Something doesn't feel right. Something, something feels like it can threaten us. And we become aware of that and, and we say we've got to make plans to make sure that threat never happens. We begin to enter into this dialogue about vulnerability there's an interesting thing that's happened in the background of the story, and I don't know if, 
if you've caught it. Someone last week came up to me after the service and said, I noticed two times in chapter 2, it talks about Ruth being taken advantage of if she leaves Boaz's field. I don't know if you caught that. She's a foreign woman. She's a widow. And she's going out into a strange field to, to go and try and glean behind all these men working in the fields. And Boaz says to her, Ruth, stay in my field. Because if you go into someone else's field, you might get harmed. And then when she comes back at the end of this day with, with all these blessings that Boaz has given to her, and she shows him the Ruth, or to Naomi and says, look at all of this. And there's a sense of joy in her. Naomi's almost first comment is you better stay with Boaz because in someone else's field, you might get harmed. What they're saying there, kind of in a very subtle way, but a very important way is, the people of Israel, you can't trust the other men in Israel. They're still living in this time of the judges. They're still living in this way of life where they will take advantage of a woman sexually. Ruth, if you leave Boaz's fields, you're going to get raped. That's what's been said. That's what both Boaz and Naomi have said to Ruth. Stay here because it is not safe for you, not even in the land of Israel. The people aren't following God. They're not walking in God's ways and it is dangerous for you out there. Vulnerability. Vulnerability has been part of this storyline all the way through. Physical vulnerability in terms of having food, it starts in a famine. Chapter 2 has behind the scenes a sexual vulnerability, a taking advantage of women whenever they could. It is a scary time. That vulnerability is running through the background. And so when you get to this space and you get to this chapter and, and Naomi is saying, Ruth, I want you to make yourself vulnerable to Boaz. Remember how big of a risk that was. Recognize how big of a risk Naomi is asking Ruth to take in order to make their future secure. Go out there. Put yourself out there. You are going to be vulnerable. I've been warning you about it. I've told you about it. But there's something about Boaz. There's something here. We need to take a risk. It's scary. It's troubling. It's disturbing as we read this and pay attention to this line. Relationships are all distorted in here. And in the midst of that, we begin to experience what Naomi's vulnerability is. Her vulnerability is, can I trust God's people again? That's really the first part. Even before she gets to any of the other big questions, her first one is, can I trust God's people again? You know the laws of God's people way back here? The laws of God's people were that if a family member falls on hard times, if a family member becomes poor and can't provide for themselves or the rest of their family, you know what you're supposed to do? You come around them 
the whole community comes around them, the extended family, and if that person can't provide, then the next person does. And if that person can't provide, then the next person does. A whole community is supposed to take care of the poor in the land. Your family is supposed to come around you and hold you tight and close and care for you. And it didn't happen for Naomi and her husband. They were left in their poverty so much so that they couldn't stay in the land and they had to leave. God's people had failed them. And when Naomi says to Ruth, go and make yourself vulnerable before Boaz, she's taking a step of faith in the midst of this vulnerability, in the midst of the brokenness she's experienced, and she's saying, do I dare trust God's people again? And maybe I can't trust all of them out there, but there's something about Boaz. I think I can trust him. I think something in Boaz's character is telling me I can trust him to be faithful, to do what he's supposed to do. And not just with me, but with Ruth. We can trust him. There's something here. And really what we see happening in this, it's not just about God's people. It's about Ruth com or Naomi coming to the point where she's saying, God, can I trust you again? Remember, as she left the land in chapter 1, God's hand is against me. God is against me. I mean, put yourself in that space. For some of us, it might not be hard to go there. Can you imagine having that thought or that feeling, that prayer? God, you've turned your hand against me. You don't want me. You're pushing me away. You're failing to follow through on your promises. That's her angst as she comes back to this land, wondering if there's any possibility of hope ever again. She comes into the land. And six months later, that's how long Ruth's been in the field here, six months later, she's coming to that place of, Maybe I can't trust all of Israel, but I can trust Boaz. And maybe because I can trust Boaz, maybe, just maybe, I can trust God. It's an incredible passage in Matthew. Jesus has been interacting with tax collectors. He's been interacting with all sorts of people who are considered outside of God's people. And he's interacting with the people who are oppressed by a foreign enemy. They talk about the tax burden that is sitting on the people of, of Israel at that time being much more than what they could actually provide for. They were kind of in, in becoming indentured servants to the Roman Empire. Again and again and again, they fall so far behind, they can't make ends meet. And in the midst of that context, Jesus says this to them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We, like Naomi, have an invitation. And it's an invitation to ask the question, can we trust God? Can we trust him to take care of us? Can we trust him to provide for us? Will we be vulnerable before God and say, God, I've been trying to do it on my own and it ain't working. I need you. I need you. And we hear Jesus saying, come to me, 
all of you who are weary, all of you who have felt like God has failed you, all of you who have felt like God's people have failed you, all of you who have fallen on hard times and can't see a future anymore, come to me. All of you who feel like you have been isolated and separated from God's people and no longer belong, come back in. Come home. Let me give you a resting place. You will find rest, not merely for your bodies. You will find rest for your souls, your deepest longings. We cannot understand Ruth, and in some sense, we cannot understand the Advent journey or the journey towards Lent and the cross without understanding that it calls us into these conversations about vulnerability and trust and whether or not we're willing to trust God to do what he says he will do. I love that the story doesn't leave us in that place. It's a hard place to be. The story moves us towards redemption. There is action on Boaz's part in here that that moves this story along and helps us to understand what's happening. In fact, we could say redemption is much more than a one-night stand. It's much more than just a moment. It, It is something that has been going on oftentimes before we recognize it. If we pay attention to this storyline, Ruth and Naomi's redemption that's being found in Boaz's generosity, his integrity, has been happening for a long time. His integrity was something that was on display that actually made it safe for Naomi and Ruth to come back from Moab. reason they came back, Naomi heard that there was food again in the land of Israel, that the famine was over, There's a glimmer of hope. There's the possibility of life. Something's happening in Israel and we need to go back there. And as they come back to the land, her still full of her bitterness and the vulnerability that's there, they end up in the land and and they end up at Boaz's place who's been treating his employees with integrity and grace and generosity. He's been pouring out God's blessings. He's been honoring the people and the poor of the land. He's been providing for others. They get wrapped in to this story of God's grace that's been at work long before they recognized it. And for six months, he continues to take care of them and provide for them and be generous toward them. But it's also in that moment. Lifting up the corner of the blanket. You heard that little phrase? It was a euphemism during that time for offering yourself sexually to another person, to lift the corner of the blanket. And Boaz, I I love the humor that's in the text, Boaz was startled during the middle of the night. Whoa! Where did this woman come from? She wasn't here when I fell asleep. There's a little humor there in the midst of it. But he treats her with integrity. He could have taken advantage of her, That was the cultural norm. Take advantage of a woman, especially if she's offering herself to you. But he doesn't. Stay at my feet. Keep yourself warm. Stay here till morning. I'll honor you. And his integrity goes a step further because he says, I'm actually going to honor God's ways. It's not proper for me 
to have sex with you. It's not proper for me to be the one to redeem you because there's a family member who should be doing it. And so I'm going to go and call that person out and say, it's your responsibility, and if you're not willing to do it, then I will. I'll fulfill the duty, but it's your duty first. And so there's something happening here where Boaz is saying, my integrity in God's way, my trust in God's way, is so much so that I will wait, I will follow the proper laws, I'll go over here and actually call the rest of my people who I know aren't following God's ways. I'll call them to account and tell them, it's time. Fulfill God's ways. And if they don't do it, then I'll pick up the space. Boaz's integrity is part of the redemption here. It's a redemption not just of Naomi and Ruth anymore, but the text is giving us a clue that the people of Israel are going to be redeemed that something is happening in this interchange that points to the redemption of all of Israel, not just these two people. Boaz is saying there's another kinsman redeemer who needs to be redeemed, called back into following God's ways. What we're really getting here through Boaz is a glimpse of God's character. God who is at work even in the garden, when we first betrayed God and, and first turned our back on him, who said, I, I'm going to, to give a, a child to this woman, to Eve. There will be a child who comes along who will, who will step on that serpent's head and crush him and destroy that seed of sin and rebellion. Uh, the God who said, Noah... I need you to build an ark even though you don't understand it and you don't see a drop or a hint of rain coming. I need you to build an ark because I have some saving to do. And the whole world needs saving. But God said to Abraham, Hey, Abram, come follow me. Even though you and your wife are barren and you've got no children, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the, the sand on the seashore. So much so that you can't count my blessings. And the whole world is going to be blessed through you. God who continued to call the people of Israel back to him again and again and again and who finally sends his son Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We're catching that glimpse of God's character and God's love for all of creation and the whole world through, through Boaz's character. And as we catch a glimpse of that and Boaz willing to sacrifice what would have been good and right for him and well within his means to do, we see Boaz laying himself down and putting himself in a vulnerable position before the other people of Israel, saying, I need to go and redeem Ruth and Naomi. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still vulnerable, while we were still struggling and wondering whether we can trust God and God's people, whether we, we were doubting and, and wondering, is this real? Is this too good to be true? Christ died for us. Christ sacrificed himself to bring us back to God, to create that safe resting place, that future for us, 
that security. I love how the text ends. I don't know if you caught the end of the chapter, but the ending of the chapter, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. Isn't that beautiful? Wait. It's really our Advent journey. We're, we're three weeks into it, but it is a, a season of, of waiting. We had a funny exchange. I didn't tell my wife I'm going to say this, but I'm the one who comes out looking bad. So I was texting her this week and texting my son Josh at the same time, two conversations, trying to line things up, trying to control my week this coming week because Thursday something happens. Anyone know what happens Thursday? There, one of my sons know it. The new Star Wars movie comes out, and I wanted to see it, and I went online, and I figured out there's still reserved seating for the 10 o'clock show up at Ancaster. I don't know if that's true anymore. Please don't check right now. But I, I'm texting Josh, and Josh and I, Josh is like, I get done with my exam at 5, so I'm good to go anytime after that. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. This is going to be great. I'm texting Henny, and Henny's saying, maybe we should wait. What? Wait? How can we wait? And, and as we kept going back and forth, I finally said, it's not fair for you to ask me to wait during Advent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want it. I want it now. I want my future now. I, wanna, I want what I want, and I want it now, right? That's our way, isn't it? That's what our culture tells us again and again. That's how we live. If I have the means to do it, why can't I do it now? And yet we're called into the season of waiting. Right? To wait. To wait. This text says, my daughter, wait. My children, wait. Be patient. Trust that God's got a plan. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that he's holding on to you. Trust that he's going to make you secure. She finishes that sentence saying, he will not rest until the matter is settled. Boaz's offer here, his integrity towards Ruth, is giving us a glimpse of God himself and what God's up to. He says, God isn't going to rest until the matter's settled. God isn't going to rest until everything is made new. God isn't going to rest until that day he brings us home and we have a new heaven and a new earth and all relationships that have been broken are restored and, and you read the end of Revelation and it's a place where there's no more violence. It's a place where the people who have been sexually immoral are not present. It's a place where those who have demeaned others and worshipped idols have been removed. It's a place where people have been restored and all threat of everything going wrong ever again has been completely taken out. And you have a land, a people, a God, a whole community, a whole cosmos that is flourishing together. And we hear in this Advent season not just the, the waiting that had to happen as God's people anticipated Christ's birth, but the waiting that we're still called into as we anticipate the second coming and as we anticipate that second coming, we're back to those first questions. Will we trust God? Can we trust him? Can we trust his character to make us secure? 
to care for us, to give us a hope and a future that's rooted in him and not in our own efforts. And with this, a reminder from Peter. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is what we wait for. The day when God makes all things new and everyone has been brought to repentance. Let's pray. You are our God. We have no one else in the whole world but you. We admit, Lord, that we have sought after other gods and we have tried to provide for ourselves in ways that have dishonored you. And for that, we are sorry. Yet we also see that in our fumbling and even in our disobedience, you have been steadfast in your faithfulness. You have been steadfast, working all things together for our good in Jesus Christ. In his birth, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in his promised return, we begin to have hope. We begin to see that we can trust you. That you will hold nothing back from making us and this world secure. Help us to find our security not in a place or in things, but in you, now and forevermore. Amen.